What do we have here? Yeah, here I thought we were special. Fellas, this here's Bagman. Hangman. Whatever. Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You were here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, AKA Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage the expectations. Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. And we're off. Here we go. In three, two, one. We're going into combat on a level no living pilot's ever seen. Not even him. You think up there you're dead. Believe me. I believed in you. I'm not gonna make the same mistake. Someone's not coming back from this. Those are your pilots. Anything happens to them. Smoke in the air! Smoke in the air! You will never forgive yourself. No turning back now. So, Top Gun Maverick is the highly anticipated sequel to the original Top Gun film from 1986, which I never saw because I wasn't even born in 1986. I don't even, bear, I don't even remember what that was like. Actually, my, uh, my 18-year-old daughter will be wearing my bomber jacket to the second service um, today. And so in this film, uh, Pete Mitchell, right, played by Tom Cruise, who I don't think is all that special, but my wife has seen the movie three times. Um, <laughs> he is called out of testing fighter jets out in the Mojave Desert to come back and train the next generation uh, of pilots, uh, fighter pilots for a unique special mission that they are headed on. And whenever he comes back to do the training, he, um, he meets a special pilot, right? It's a guy named Rooster, that's his call sign, but it actually is Goose's son from the first film who died in a training accident. He was Maverick's wingman in the original, uh, in the original film. And there's instant tension between the two of them. Uh, Maverick feels this sense of guilt and remorse. Rooster has this sense of resentment against Maverick for a number of reasons. And it's easy in the film to get caught up in fighter jets and action scenes and bombs and missiles and all those things. But the movie really is about relationships. It's about how we as human beings can work through uh, realities um, together. And interestingly enough, John chapter one is about relationships. It's about how you and I, once we get our vertical relationship with God right, it gives us the capacity for our horizontal relationships to be an accurate picture and reflection of him. So when you look at John, the gospel, it's unique. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three gospels have a lot of similarities, but John is different. 
John hearkens us back to the name of God. One of the things that I love about our church, I love about this series, is that a lot of you are here uh, today, maybe for the first time, maybe you don't go to church very much, maybe you're coming back to church after being away um, for a long time. And so we just really get back to the foundation over and over and over again of who God is. And when God reveals himself to Moses in the Old Testament, he reveals himself with a very unique, a very unique name, Yahweh. Actually, it's Yahweh because we added vowels to it. The Hebrews, Orthodox Hebrews in the old, they wouldn't even say the word. That's why they didn't put vowels in it. They spelled it Y-H-W-H because they didn't want people to even say that, that name was so sacred to them. It means I am. But one of the things that makes Jesus unique, and it's one of the things that John reveals in his gospel to us is that Jesus makes a number of these I am statements. Jesus says, comes along onto the scene. He says things no one else would have said. He says, Yahweh, the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Yahweh, the good shepherd. Yahweh, the gate. Yahweh, the water of life. Jesus makes these I am claims to deity, aligning himself with his father and his purpose and the reason that he came. And when that is right, other things in our lives, other relationships in our lives can be right. So the first thing I'll say to you today is that relational health, it begins with the beginning. That's what John says right off the bat. John chapter one, verses one and two, if you wanna turn over there, it says this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning um, with God. Um, among the four gospels, the other thing or another thing that makes John's gospel unique is how he refers to himself. John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'll say it to you this way. John thought he was Jesus's best friend. And in some ways he very well may have been, but in some ways I wonder if Jesus didn't make everybody feel that way. At least everybody who was close to him. John felt special. What you just heard Colby say, when it comes down to our identity, right? A son of God, a daughter of God. I wonder if Jesus just didn't have that way. My, my mom was that way. Um, as I got older, after I moved out of the house, I would come back and visit. Whenever I would come back and visit, I'd look around the house and there were pictures of me everywhere. Picture, high school pictures, pictures in comedy. There were pictures of me every, it, quite honestly, made me a little bit self-conscious. I felt bad for my two sisters and my brother. I thought, man, whenever they come and they see this, they're obviously gonna see that I'm mom's favorite, right? <laughs> I mean, and if, you know, if you knew my siblings, you'd say, well, probably, no, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. Um, it just, it, it was kind of, and so then it, after I married Angie and after we had children, it was my family and pictures were everywhere every time I'd come back and visit. But you know, I noticed that at Thanksgiving and at Christmas, um, Angie pointed out to me that there was a little more balance, right? That mom would take down some of the pictures of me and she'd put up some of the pictures of some of my siblings so they wouldn't feel, you know, so self-conscious. And I, I was remarking to my wife about it one time, I thought, that's really kind of mom to kind of balance out so they don't feel so bad. And she's like, she does this for everybody. I'm like, what do you mean she does this for everybody? She's like, don't you know, every time you leave, she takes down all your pictures and she puts up the pictures of the next one who's coming. I was like, no, she doesn't. I'm the favorite, right? And my mom had a way of making you feel like you were special, like you were her favorite. And I just wonder if Jesus didn't have that. If Jesus didn't just have a way of making you feel like you were his favorite. John calls himself, he says, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. So when he begins his gospel, he says, in the beginning, all the way back in the beginning, we're going all the way back to the beginning of time. In the beginning was the word. Now that's the, the Greek word for word is the word logos. In the beginning 
was the Logos. Now, in their culture, they love to sit and debate. Greek culture, Roman culture, they would sit in public squares and um, their athletes, their stars, their celebrities were the best debaters. And one of the things that they debated was the Logos. In their minds, the Logos represented the reason. It was the, they would debate, what is the reason? What is, in other words, what is the reason for living? Today, we are debating in our culture, um, we're debating um, immigration, we're debating gun control, we're debating those, they were debating the Logos. What is the real, what is your reason for existence? Why are you here? And John says right off the bat, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. John says right off the bat, the reason is a person. The reason is not a thing, but the reason, the reason is a person. And so when you think about the movie, when you think about Maverick, so you, you, feel, like, um, you feel like Pete Mitchell, right? Tom Cruise is trying to make sense out of his life by reconciling his relationship with Goose's son, by reconciling his relationship with Ruth. That was what was gonna give him meaning until he realized that wasn't, that wasn't possible. Uh, maybe I can say it to you uh, this way. Maybe I'll say it a different way, right? What is the logos of a basketball? What is the, what's the reason for a basketball? Left-hand dribble, kids. Work on your left-hand dribble. The logos of a basketball is fun, right? It's fun. We forget about that sometimes, especially as adults while our kids uh, are playing. I was blessed to coach my, my kids' basketball teams at OIAA and middle school and some even into high school. One of my daughter's eighth grade years, or we had a team, excuse me, she was a seventh grader um, on the team. We made it all the way to the conference finals in middle school. It was a great game. We, we were undefeated. We lost one game all season at their place. And the team we played, they lost one game all season at our place. So it came down right to the end of the season, the finals of the tournament game, the gym's packed. People are standing up along the walls because there aren't, there aren't any seats left. It was back and forth, back and forth. This will tell you how emotionally charged it was. Our team took the lead with about two minutes left. We went up by six points. One of their parents got so upset that during a timeout that she left her seat, came all the way over, started screaming at their coach. I knew we had the game at that point. I was like, okay, we, we got it, we got it. So we win the game and when the game's over, one of their parents says something to one of our parents and one of our parents says something back to one of their parents and all of a sudden it gets emotionally charged and they're stepping back like they're gonna, like they're gonna swing at each other, cussing at each other, right? At the Christian middle school girls tournament. <laughs> Columbus police had to be called, right? It was not our best, it was not our best moment because we forgot about the Logos of a basketball. Let's say you take this ball home and you're trying to hold a door open and you use this basketball as a doorstop and that's all you ever use it for. Is it fair to say that you are underutilizing the logos, the reason for existence of this basketball? It has a purpose and you are using it for something less than its designed purpose. See, the reason that John starts off by saying that the reason is a person is because you and I have been designed. We are to be utilized to glorify a God who is so, so good. 
to us. And I would venture to say that in a room of this size, that it is probably true that many of our lives are being underutilized. We are not being utilized for the design purpose for which God created us. There may be no more important question in the world that you ever answer than what is your logos? What is the reason for which you think you're on this planet? In John's world, there were two main schools of thought. Two, two founders of these schools, I'll, just real quick. One of them was Zeno of Citium. I'll show you a picture of Zeno. He was the founder of something called Stoicism, right? In their world. His um, anti, right? His, on the other side of the argument uh, was a guy named Epicurus, right? He was um, uh, the Greek God uh, of, of health. And now think about things like allergies. And they said like Epi, Cure, right? Epicure. So where we get our idea uh, for things like the epi pen, right? That's a cure. That came, not really. I'm just kidding. I made that up. But it sounded good. <laughs> it sounded good. But you had, so you had, you had uh, Zeno over here, founder of Stoicism. When we say today somebody is Stoic, what do we mean? Like they're very, yeah. so they had one view. Then you had Epicurus. He had a different view. Epicurus's view, the Epicureans believed that there was no logos. There was no reason for living. But since there is no reason, that kind of gives you the freedom to do whatever it is you want to do. So live for pleasure. Do whatever makes you happy, whatever feels good. It doesn't matter how it affects anybody else, how it affects anything. There is no reason. So just go enjoy life. Now the Stoics, they said something different. They said, you're right. There is no reason for life. There is nothing eternal. There is nothing out there, but we have to do the right thing. We have to make right choices because if we don't, society will be intolerable. So even though it doesn't matter a hundred years from now, the fact that you make right choices, you should make right choices just for the sake of society. Stoicism and Epicure. So you had a very liberal point of view and you had a very conservative point of view. That is very, very current. John comes along and says, no, 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 no. There is a logos. There is a reason. And the reason is a person. But if you go down either of those two paths, what you're gonna find out, the end of the, one is despair, because you find out there's never enough pleasure to satisfy a human heart. And the other, it's not despair, but it's discipline. Just do the right thing, do the right thing, do the right thing. And you can't bear up underneath that. In our society today, there are some very, very smart people. Um, Sam Harris is a great example. Brilliant neuroscientist, atheist. Um, Harris would say to us, and this is what, this is what um, students are learning in college uh, right now, is that we get a sense of morality, that biology teaches us a sense of morality because we've evolved to do the right things, uh, whatever is best for human flourishing. Man, that sounds good, doesn't it? And there's all these proofs, oh, what's the only problem with it? We're not getting more moral. We're getting less moral. When you look at the world today, right? We're more divided, we're more separated. Than, than probably we've ever been. More people are losing their lives out of uh, false senses of morality that are going on in places around the world probably than have happened in all of world history. 50 years ago in our country, God's word was truth. Now you may disagree with it, but it was generally assumed that God's word was truth. 25 years ago, it shifted. And during that season, it was looked, my truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. If you want to believe that, that's fine. You believe that, but your truth is your truth. Today, it's shifted again. 
Instead of your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, it's my truth is your truth. And if you don't believe my truth, I'm gonna attack you. We have this shifting sense of morality. John is trying to get us back to this idea that the logos, that the reason for living, that the reason you breathe air and walk on this planet is that you were designed to glorify a person. But not just that. Look at, uh, look at the next verse. Look at verse, uh, verse three. He says this, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So the first idea is that the reason is a person. But the second one is that the person is an author. That the person is the author. You remember when John starts from verse one, we talked about in the beginning was the word. Does that, does that remind you in the beginning? It takes you all the way back, right? To Genesis chapter one, verse one. That in the beginning, God created. And here in this verse, in verse three that we just read, he says, all things were made by him. So whoever this person is, Whoever this Logos is, was there in the beginning and he was there creating. All things were made by him and by him without, was not anything made that was made. So the reason is a person, but the person is the author. He has been there since the beginning. He has been creating. He brought this world and everything that you and I know into existence. Now, why is that such a big deal? Because if he's the author, that means he's in charge of his creation. Um, speaking of basketball, this past week, uh, LeBron James uh, broke Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record. And as soon as he did that, it's such a you know, big deal in professional basketball that immediately all the sports pundits started saying, well, this is what it means to LeBron, and this is what it means. And this is, no, I think this is what it means. But eventually they got a microphone in front of LeBron, and LeBron, they asked him the question, and he said, no, here's what this means to me. And he starts talking about what he meant. You know what that is? That's end of discussion. Why? Because it's his career. He's the author. And if he's the author, the author has authority. So the reason is a person, the reason for your existence, my existence, the reason is a person, but the person is the author. He's the creator. But if he's the author, then what? Then the author is the one who has authority. So here's reality. Something is gonna have gravitas in your life. Something is gonna have gravity. Your life is gonna orbit something. Does that make sense? Whatever your logos is, is gonna be the, whatever that thing is at the center of your life. And it's gonna be something, it's gonna be someone. It's incumbent upon you and I to take the time to figure out what is it? Because that's gonna be the thing that when you are no longer here and people talk about you, they're gonna relate you to whatever it was that you orbited. I mentioned to you last week, I have the blessing of doing a lot of funerals. And I watch and I listen to the thing that, in a sense, makes a life. Man, he loved those Buckeyes. And that's great. Man, you know, she gave her life to this or to that, and I don't know what your Logos is. Maybe it's discipline, maybe it's pleasure, 
Maybe it's beauty. Maybe it's your look, your fit, that other people look at you and they know you because, because you're an attractive person. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's the time and energy that you put in. Maybe for you, it's family. Like family is the thing, the important. That's the thing that everything else is gonna revolve around. It's the logos. It's the reason you think that you're here. But I do know this, that whatever it is, that's what gets your time and attention. That's what gets your focus. And John is trying to argue with you and me to shine a light on the logos of our lives. That's what comes up in, uh, in verse four. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John says, listen, take just a second. Maybe it's why God's brought you here this morning and shine the light onto your life and figure out what is, what is your mission? What is your purpose? How do I know, Dean? How do I figure it out? What gets the majority of your time, attention, and energy? What's the grid? What's the thing that you see through which you see everything else? What is it that gives you a sense of panic if that thing in your life gets touched? If there's, if there's change, if there's adjustment, what is it that makes you emotional? What is it that, that what is, what's your reason? John says, Jesus Christ left heaven, punched a hole in the top of this world and came to earth for you and me so that we could understand our reason for being. He made a way for us to come to God in relationship with him because of his work on the cross. When he died for us, he, he rescued us, he restored us, he renewed us, he redeemed us. He paid for your sins and my sins. All of us are broken so that we could come to know God and live in right alignment with him so that when our alignment with God is right, everything else in the world can be right. Your chase will determine your pace. What is it that you're chasing? More look, more fit, more beauty, more career, more money, more pleasure. What are you chasing? More notoriety as a family this, as a leader of this, as a, what, what are you, because your chase is what's gonna determine your pace. It's gonna determine what gets your time and energy and attention, the majority of it. So worried about pace in our world today. So worried about pace. We worry about young people, right? And we're worried. These kids, their phones. And I understand, you know, it's estimated that between the ages of 12 and 22, adults in the United States, between the ages of 12 and 22, take 100 million selfies a day. A hundred millions of them, right? But you know what? This is not just a modern problem. We have always been focused on ourselves, right? They had selfies 200 years ago. They were called portraits, right? People would pose for hours on end while someone would paint them so they could have a painting of them. A portrait, the Mona Lisa, it's really just a selfie. All the art teachers in the room are pinching my head off right now. They're putting <laughs> We've always had an attention and a focus, right? Onto ourselves. And John is offering us an alternative. 
Because of the sacrifice and the work of Christ and the love that he has for us, your life and my life, we can be different. We can understand our reason and our purpose for being. And if you and I will do it, if we'll do it, he will walk with us and he will show himself to you. Back in the fall, we did a series called Kingdom Values where we, talk about, uh, we talked about taking steps uh, in generosity. And on one of those Sundays, we talked about uh, the passage where Jesus is in the temple and uh, there's a widow. We call it the widow's mite passage, right? There's this, there's this lady who's a widow there and she comes to the offering and she gives everything she had. She was an all in kind of person. And Jesus commends her that even though she doesn't have a lot, that she was giving to the most important thing. And when that Sunday was over and I was walking uh, out in the parking lot headed toward my car, somebody stopped me, somebody who was newer uh, to, uh, to our church. And he said, you know that passage that you talked about today? He said, that woman is my grandma. He said, my grandma was exactly like that. His grandma was Grandma Elizabeth. I'll show you a picture up here of Grandma Elizabeth uh, holding, uh, holding her granddaughter. And he said, she was that kind of person. She said, she just kind of gave away everything um, that she had. She never made more than $7 an hour and she would get her paycheck on Friday. And he said, there were actually times where she would get her paycheck on Friday and she would cash it and she would give it all away to people who had needs before she ever got home, which caused some trouble with grandpa, right? Sometimes. The way, that, the way that that kind of worked out. He said, she was just that kind of person. She was an all in, she's gonna help, she's gonna give away. And so after uh, grandpa had passed away and eventually uh, grandma Elizabeth, uh, eventually she retires, um, she really doesn't have enough for retirement. She's just kind of given everything. She's kind of given everything. So her sons, you know, were like, we're gonna have to help mom during, uh, during these retirement years, which, which would have been fine. But, Grandma Elizabeth took the little bit of money that she had saved up and she went and talked to her financial advisor. And he was like, you really don't have enough, buddy. So here's what I'm gonna recommend you do. I'm gonna recommend that we take the vast majority of your smaller amount of savings here and we're gonna buy, uh, we're gonna buy stock in a little uh, direct shipping company that thinks they're gonna revolutionize things by shipping things straight to people's houses and bypassing department stores called Amazon. And all of a sudden, Grandma Elizabeth's a millionaire. <laughs> and all of her life, she gives and she gives and she gives. And all of a sudden, this moment comes along where what? You see, God's been walking with her all along. Now, here's the amazing thing to me about it. Is you're like, oh, good for Grandma, right? She's gonna take trips, she's gonna travel, she's gonna, you know what he said to me? He said, she never changed. She was just generous and gave and gave and gave and gave. Why? Because she understood her logos. She understood why it was that she was put here. And you too can understand why it is that you were put here. You've been rescued, restored, redeemed by the son of God who left heaven and came to earth and gave everything for you. Here in a minute, we're gonna sing a song called, Isn't He? And it talks about Jesus has this name that's above all names because he is the I am and the I am, the great I am is the one then who gets to determine who we are because it's not just that the reason is a person, <laughs> it's that the person is the author. And if he's the author, if he's the creator, then he's the one who has authority. So you and I have the opportunity to choose today. Are we gonna bring our lives under his authority or are we just gonna try and do things our own way? And if you leave here today, if you leave here today, 
and you choose to live life on your terms, which is what we celebrate in our culture a lot, on your terms. That's your choice. Or you can leave here today understanding that the reason that you were made is to glorify your Father who is in heaven, who gave all. We're going to sing in this song, we're going to sing a line, and it says this, giver of a grace that none could earn. You and I are broken. We could never earn it. We never earn the goodness of God. So what God did was he just gave it to us. <laughs> so good to us. I was reading, I'm doing my quiet time right now in Colossians, I'm in Colossians two and three and I read this yesterday. There's an amazing little verse. It says, for your life is hidden with Christ. And I thought, what amazing. It's the Greek word crypto, it means cryptic. So that whenever God looks down at me, he doesn't see me and my brokenness and my sin. What God sees is Jesus, I am hidden. I'm hidden inside of a perfect savior, a perfectly loving savior, a perfectly loving, glorified, resurrected, all powerful savior. And when you have that, when you own that, that changes everything. Let's pray together. God, we sang earlier that you are so good and Lord, you've given everything for us and you walk with us. And there are, there, are, um, there are Grandma Elizabeth moments, God, that show up along the way where we realize how you have been with us. But God, you're not, some, you're not some quick fix to our problems, but God, you are the reason. So God, thank you. Thank you that you bring us to moments where we just shine light. We shine light on the darkness and we're reminded of how good you are. And so God, as we sing back to you now, that you are the name above all names, God, our prayer is that this, um, that this would bless your heart this morning as we worship. It's in your name we pray, amen.